Hollywood and everything else, you can get sucked up very easily. And I definitely did. Um, and I realized that now. And so I think that, you know, when the postpartum depression hit, it was kind of like the universe being like, you didn't learn your lesson doing that show. So now you're going to be back doing this and like, you're going to do the work. And I really had to do the work to like find myself again. you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 Knows. I've got celebrity stylist and motherhood fashion lifestyle expert, Ali Levine, with me today. Uh, she is one of Yahoo's top influencers to watch and follow in 2020. You may know her as the star of Stripped on Bravo, a reality series that was around a couple of years ago. But really why I am interested and excited for you to hear this is she has such a great story of going where her inspiration took her and letting the nose kind of dictate where she was going to pivot and how she was going to pivot, removing her ego, being able to, and willing really to start on the bottom when she went to a new field that might've been related, but it was new. She worked her way up, uh, she started out at a very young age, influenced by her father, who was an entrepreneur, her grandmother, who uh, inspired and encouraged her creativity. And she, at a pretty early age, started working with international designers like Coach Talbots. She opened New York's flagship Target location. She transitioned to uh, television and film. It took her to Hollywood. That was when she was working for Oliver Stone, and that led to that switch. And you're going to hear these stories. And, um, you know, she was uh, considered LA's it girl of celebrity, styling people like Jesse McCartney, Lisa Vanderpump, many, many more. Um, and then she, she had her child, and she had postpartum depression, and she really leaned into it and morphed again. She's now got the Ali Levine blog, which um, is really some unfiltered stuff that moms really go through, very transparent. It earned a spot among the top 100 personal stylist blogs, was named one of the top 40 LA fashion blogs. Um, and she's got a great podcast, which I did, called Everything with Ali Levine. It's um, it's really her spirit. That's what I love about it. Is she, she is Really, her mission is to make moms feel less crazy about how crazy the life could be and how uh, demanding it is. And she, um, she's a real inspiration, has a huge heart and a really hard worker. I was, I was so happy to hear all these stories. And there are tons of takeaways and tons of lessons in there. Um, quick reminder, if you dig these conversations, which are all about how do we navigate our way through uh, a tough career, uh, a kind of non-traditional career, and you are looking to have something that applies to you uh, directly, we've got the 10,000 No's Insiders Community. There's a link to it in the show notes. You can also go to 10,000nos.com and look for Insiders Community. Check it out. It's basically these weekly live calls that we do. Uh, 
I'm on them with you. And every month we have a past guest VIP of some sort come in and talk to the group. And it's really a way to take all of these principles and apply them to your own life. So it kind of makes the podcast 3D. Uh, For now, though, I want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy Ali Levine. I believe you grew up in New York City. I don't know if it was that you grew up here as in your childhood or if you just came here in the fashion industry later on, if it was high I school. In, I grew up in New York, like, so like, like an hour, like an hour from the city, like Orange County, like the real Orange County in New York, um, you know, and um, I moved into the city when I was working, you know, in fashion. And when I finished at FIT and then I lived in Hoboken and I was all over the place, all over the city. So that's how I wound up in the city. But I was commuting in high school, even into the city for like fashion internships and opportunities. And so I was like always in it, but I lived like, you know, it was the, a train that I took down, you know, from Monroe to, to New York city. It was like a straight train to the city. So I was always going to the city for those opportunities, you know, and then once I started getting my own opportunities and jobs and I moved into the city and lived on different friends floors for some summers. And then I moved to Hoboken when I got my own apartment. So. So we have a, par- a parallel yeah. path because I grew up in Westchester County and would come okay. into the city and then moved into the city. Yeah, how, yeah, how early did your fascination with fashion begin? And what was, where do you think? It oh my gosh, up? so early, like probably three, four years old. Like my grandmother was probably my inspiration. That's who my first daughter um, is named after, Amelia. And she was like my very best friend. She's now on the other side. But um, she and I like would just always like look at magazines together and we would, you know, curate trends and she would help me learn how to sew and shay and like do all these different amazing skills. She got me into painting and, you know, I would do oil canvases with her. We would take art classes together and pottery and just all kinds of stuff. So she fueled my creativity. And then my mom even would say like, I would go in my closet at three, four years old and she would like give me something to wear. And I would say, no, I go in my closet and get something else and like essentially style myself. So I just feel like it was like always in me. I just kind of got the boost of creativity. And then it was like being around all that. And then my dad, you know, he's um, built his business um, from the ground up and he's the number one vendor to QVC. And so he used to, you know, back in the day before all this craziness, you know, he used to travel down to Philadelphia all the time and go to QVC. And so he would take me, like I would be seven, eight, nine years old and go with him and sit in the green room and get to watch all the sets and like watch my dad work real hard and meet all these people and these, you know, public figures that were there. So I was like enthralled in all of it at a really young age and I loved it. And I like, I, I would ask my dad instead of going to school, can I go to work with you? You know? So I was like, I would go with him whenever I could, or if it was a weekend and he just wanted to like get me out of the house, I'd go with him for a trip and, you know, go help him set up the stage, you know, whatever that looks like at a young age, but I would go help him and hang out and get to meet people. And like, I remember like meeting Marie Osmond who had like the porcelain dolls and being like amazed by her and all the fashion. So that's, you know, I would say between my grandmother and like my dad's business, it was very much enthralled business in general to me. And I always like had it in me. And did you go to FIT? Was that directly after high school or did you do undergrad somewhere? And then you go to FIT for a program, a specialized program. 
So I actually went to Ryder University um, right outside of Princeton, um, uh, New Jersey. My dad, being the businessman that he is, was like, you're going to get a business <laughs> degree background before you get into fashion. I was like, I want fashion. He's like, you can have fashion all you want, but you're going to get business so that you make sure you're taken care of. You know, God forbid fashion doesn't happen. Like you can do anything with this, which was a really, you know, it was sound advice. Of course, at the time I was like, no, 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 I want to do fashion. Um, but I went to Ryder for a year. And then long story short, after getting like my basics and with my business program, I then followed my stupid ex-boyfriend who was like my high school sweetheart women do that all the time but you know I followed him out to, <laughs> out to Arizona because he was um offered a scholarship for uh, military and everything and so I followed him out there I ended up going to school at Northern Arizona University which is in Flagstaff Arizona and actually which is crazy because it's obviously like not something you would think has fashion but they actually are very well known uh in the fashion space and fashion merchandising they're like a very niche program and it actually worked out even though him and I didn't work out it worked out for me because I was like this big fish you know like in a small pond and it kind of changed things from when I used to be like in New York and always really competing and going for everything I was kind of like still still of course but things were handed to me a little bit more because I was the New Yorker and I knew what I was doing and I was very much submerged so do so much at college to be able to like learn and produce and produce fashion shows and um you know work with all these amazing fashion companies and just it was just really like creative for me and I loved it. And then from there, I, because I was the head of the merchandising club, they asked me to help a lot of students get, you know, jobs and internships. So when I would be in these meetings, with these different fashion companies, one of them was Target, Target. And so I ended up, you know, going ahead and working with the interns and helping them and sitting down with Target and saying like, hey, here's another great candidate. They want to do this. And then it was funny. I ended up falling into my own job with them because I was so inspired by what Target was doing for them and all the programs. And they were like, well, you should look at it for you. I didn't plan on it. It just kind of happened. And that's what brought me back to New York is I worked for them in Arizona and then they needed to open a flagship store in New York. And they were like, you were phenomenal in Arizona. Arizona. We'd love to see you progress. Our main office is in Brooklyn as far as training and doing the stuff to get the stores ready. You know, would you want to go back? And they knew I was from there, you know, from New York. And so went back, ended up leaving school a little early, finishing at FIT in their program. I was able to roll their program into what I was doing and then started working at Target and opened the flagship store. So it's a really long story, but that's how I got started. Wow. So by the time you were, how old were you by this point that you were opening that store in Brooklyn? Was that, or so I was like 20, 20 and a half, 21 around there when I opened the store and yeah, at Target. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So impressive. And it just sounds like you had, you had it in you early and you acted on it and you went full throttle. So, yeah. My dad always taught me that, you know, he always told me like, you know, you, you know, you start from the bottom, you know, his song is from the bottom. Now I'm here. It's like, he really instilled that in me. He was like, you know, he always told me even when we had really great things, you know, we're fortunate, you know, we're not rich. We're not this, we're not that we're fortunate as he always told us as kids. And so I always kept that in mind and he always works so hard still does. And, you know, I always watched him reinvent himself and reinvent his businesses and, you know, do everything from the ground up. So I think seeing that, you know, in your father and someone who you admired and followed around and did everything, it was like, okay, that was instilled in me. And then, you know, same with my grandmother, then giving me the creativity side and putting a real boost in me with that, you know, all of it combined was like, I, I always worked really hard. I always wanted to work really hard. 
That's really cool. It's particularly interesting to me right now as my son has come with me for the week to Brooklyn. And so we've had an opportunity. He's 13, but we've had an opportunity to have these conversations that are just one-on-one. There's a lot of space and time. And we've had conversations about work ethic. And I just told him something yesterday about the early years of bartending and all that. And he said, you bartended for over 10 years. And I was like, yeah, it's been, you know, so I'm, I'm identifying with your dad in that I would like to instill in my kids, if they want to do something that's along the lines of what I do, that it's so up and down that they need to develop these other traits. So to hear you say this, it's so hopeful to me. And I'm curious, after you opened uh, Target, where did you go? You finish FIT. Do you stay in New York for a while? What do you do? What's the segue? Yeah. So I love you so that though by your son. Like, I think that that, you know, when your kids get to see like, you know, like you and, and what you're doing, but also know your background, like what they did, you did. It's like inspiring them. Like my dad was like, you know, before this, I sold t-shirts out of my, you know, trunk just to make some cash in college. You know, so it's like, I think when you're kids hear that and they see that and they see that motivation, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like you really did start from like, the bottom and then, you know, made your way through, you know, and I'm sure even looking at you is that, you know, their dad, it's like, Oh, wow, look all the things my dad's doing, but like, you're still showing the roller coaster of like how that goes, you know? So I just think that's awesome. But so for me, it was a little bit of a roller coaster journey because I planned on being with target for quite some time. And after, you know, opening their store and then they moved me to a flagship store um, right outside of the city. And I opened that store and everything was going really well. But I was like 21 and a half at this point. And I was like, I wanted to party and have fun and not be working 90 like hours, you know, um, I mean, truly a week, you know, retail is brutal. Um, it was an amazing learning experience, but I was there at four in the morning overseeing the logistics of pushing the truck, you know, making sure everything happened with the flooring, the planograms, the retail, the merchandising, like it was everything. And it was a lot and it was a lot of responsibility. And it was amazing. And it built me, you know, a lot as far as business is concerned, but I just wanted to do something a little bit more simple at that age. And I was trying to figure out what that was. And I loved Target. And I told them like, Hey, I think I want to do more behind the scenes and design. And they were like, Oh, we would love for you to do that. Like they were so open, but Target is in Minnesota for the corporate headquarters. <laughs> and so, I mean, kind of put the pieces together. I, you know, I went out there, I went out to, to Minnesota to check it out. And I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> I, I loved like the target, you know, I love the city and I love the office. And I was so stoked because the job was so amazing, but I couldn't be, I was already in cold New York, man. I couldn't be in cold Minnesota, like negative 30 wind chill, cover your face. I was like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> like, you know, and definitely not party area. I was just like, I was too young. You know, I was like, I, I was like, all right, I'm ready to move on. So from there, I, I told Target, you know, thank you for the offer, but I'm going to move on. I started applying uh, in New York City for corporate jobs, um, went back home, you know, kind of started regrouping and said, okay, I'm going to save up and I'm going to find myself, you know, an entry level job in design. And I really did have to kind of start from the bottom again, because even though I had done so well in Target, it was retail and most of the design jobs were like, hey, you know, first off, the base salary is super, super low, like nowhere near what you were making at Target. And secondly, like you don't have the experience, even though you have amazing experience. You know, and so it was like this kind of mix of like 
we can kind of use that experience to give you a job, but we can't give you the salary that you would have had. And so I had to make a lot of, you know, tough decisions, but I was glad I did because then I got into corporate design. My first job in New York City was a private label uh, jewelry company called Fragments. I think they're gone now. They used to be on Green Street, um, but I, I think in the last couple of years that they've disappeared, but they were like big back in the day. And so I started out as a production design assistant to them and I worked in their shipping department and did design and private label. So we did like Aeropostale, Banana Republic, Neiman Marcus, you know, Barney's from low end to high end. And then long story short, after working with them for quite some time, I realized I really love design, but I wanted to move on and not feel like I was like the only person at this company. Um, it was a very small boutique company and I landed a job with Coach because I got to like tap into what coach what wanted to do something different, which I think like it really, um, it changed like my way of designing and thinking of things. Because when I looked at coach and they hired me, it was like, oh, coach, you know, the C's on everything. It's like the standard, it's traditional. And they were like, no, we want to hire you for the non-CC team and actually use your creative to like come up with all these different like funky leathers and colors. So I got to be a part of like dipping the leathers in Italy and changing the colors and the stitching and the designs. And it was, it was amazing. It really fueled my, you know, my creativity. Um, and so then uh, the stock market crashed <laughs> um, back then in New York. And that like really was like, oh, okay, now you have no job <laughs> and you have to start over once again, because, you know, I, I mean, everybody had no job at that point. Um, and so I had to kind of take a hard look at myself and say, all right, well, I'm loving design. I'm loving everything I'm doing, but like what's missing and for me, it was the fact that I was like in a corporate office. I felt like I was still being told like what designs I could do and what I couldn't. And I didn't know like where I wanted to go. I just knew I wanted more out of fashion and I wanted to feel more free. And so I started asking around and I got a couple of different like headhunters and recruiting companies that, you know, moved me around on different little projects. And then um, I talked to some friends and family and they were like, well, why don't you look into the entertainment industry? And I was like, well, what would I do with that? And they were like, well, what about like movies and costume and working with people? And honestly, like I had thought about it, but I really didn't know much about it. And so I was like, all right, well, it doesn't hurt to like, do it and try it. So I got an interview with Oliver Stone, who is amazing. Um, and I met with him and his team and I became his go girl, his, you know, his assistant. Um, and I was coffee, donuts, four in the morning, whatever that man needed, <laughs> um, I was doing. Is that um, when you moved to LA? Was that like 2007? That was after from that. Yeah. So that happened. That was the first movie in New York. Back then, New York was still doing a lot of movies. And so it was Wall Street Money Never Sleeps with Michael Douglas and Carrie Mulligan, like a really well-known movie. My first credit, it was very exciting. <laughs> and, you know, Oliver had me do like anything and everything, you know, cut hundred scripts, you know, for the whole you know, staff, you know, at all hours in the morning, come meet me with my coffee at 430 in the morning. I mean, whatever he needed to do, I was there, you know, it was totally different than what I was doing in fashion. <laughs> for a second, just because I'm an actor, I have to ask you, what would you say were the chief attributes of Oliver Stone, in your opinion, now you were in a certain, you know, position there, what were your views of why he has been so successful? Oh my gosh. I mean, so many reasons, but I would say first started working for him and I first started like, you know, assisting him. And he was like, look, this is not an easy position. This is not an easy job. I'm going to tell you exactly what I want and exactly what I expect. And I expect that. And I think like, 
you know, some people would say that's ego, but to me, like that was why he was so successful because he spelled out exactly what he wanted and exactly what he expected. And if I didn't do something like <laughs> his coffee one time, I forget, it was like no whip, no this, no that. And I went to Starbucks and I got, you know, the wrong order and I came back and he looked at me and I was like, I looked at him like petrified because I could tell I did something wrong. And he's like, I said no whip. And I was like, oh, you know, and he's like, got to, you know, go to go get, got to get another one. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, it's like freezing cold. It's snowing. You know, I was like, you know, five in the morning and I'm like, okay. You know, and he's like, oh, you know, and I'm like, okay. And he's like, I'm not giving you money for the, you know, the, the subway and I'm not giving you money for the drink because like, that's your responsibility. I was like, okay. You know, I was like, all right. But he instills like right away, like, this is my expectation. And this is what I, you know, I'm, I'm what I want. And this is what I expect you to follow through on. And so I feel like that's, really a big part of his success because he sets like his team up like that. He may be really hard. He may be really tough, but like he lets you know. And then you realize like when you're in it, like for me, when I went to Starbucks and I had to go back and I'm crying at the the Starbucks and telling this person my whole life story. And they're looking at me and I'm like, okay. I'm like, so I, you know, I I have to make sure it's hundred percent right. And next I'm paying for it. I'm like, money this time. You know, and they were like, okay, it's on us. You don't have to pay for it. (laughs) You know, they were super nice. I think they felt so bad for me, but it was a lesson for me, you know, and it showed me to pay attention. And like, he always say like, pay attention to details. I'm like, I picked up on that, like real fast with him, because it was like, if you don't like, then I'm going to be pissed and then it's going to equal something else, you know? And so he really taught me also when I would do a good job, he would give me more responsibilities. And so I think he also like does that a lot with people on set is like the reward. Like if, you know, if you're in a position with him and you show him, you're showing up for him, well, then he's going to give you another, you know, position of responsibility, or he's going to do something else to show you that like, you're being rewarded. And I think that that, you know, it shows a lot, you know, I think a lot of good bosses do that. And it definitely motivated me. Um, And then I would say also, he keeps his promises, you know, it's like a lot of people can talk and talk. And even he said to me, you know, I'll make sure that if you do well, I'll help you get on to something else, or at least refer you, you know, you need to do this for me, do that for me. And he sat me down with his team one night and he said, you know, okay, you're doing a good job in this department, but I know you're not here to work for me. Like, what would you want to be doing? And I was like, well, I want to get into costume eventually, but I know I have to work my way up. And he was like, yes, you do. He goes, but we have obviously a costume department, you know, on the set. If you would like to like be introduced and they could use you here and there, like I'll let you do that. And so he let me start to like work with the costume designer, Ellen Mirajnik, who's amazing and famous and incredible. And I started working with her and getting to work in that department when he didn't need me. And so I was being split between, you know, both positions. And eventually I moved over to costume completely before then in the movie. And that was huge for me because it was like, okay, I worked really hard to get here. He told me that if I worked really hard, I would be able to. And then he kept his promise to not only letting me go, but like staying with them and no longer doing the production side and getting to dive into costume. And I feel like that was huge. I really respected him for all of that. That is so cool. I'm sorry I interrupted, but I'm so glad I did because that is such valuable information. And I apologize, but you were starting. No, you're fine. It's true. So where'd you go after there? So you're then, now you're working in costuming. You're still in New York. Do you move to LA at that point? Or what happened at that point? 
Okay, so I did that project. Then I did a couple more projects in New York. I got asked to work on like Mariah Carey's Butterfly Kisses for a moment and did that for a hot minute. And then I was over on 30 Rock for a second. I kind of bounced around um, on Mercy, a hospital show with um, Amy Roth, famous costume designer. And I just kind of kept getting my feet wet and like learning and, you know, getting more opportunities to progress. And then um, one of the teams invited me to go to Atlanta and work on Big Mama's House with Martin Lawrence. I think it was Big Mama's House two or three. And so I went and worked on that. And the team there, the second team that was like the head team of costume was LA. And they like were amazing. And Leah Catch Nelson, who's an incredible costume designer, and Amanda Riley, like, and they were just like, you're fantastic. You have such a great drive. You know, what's your story? And so kind of like what we're discussing here, I told them what I was doing and what I wanted to do. And they were like, what are you doing in New York? And I was like, well, I'm from there. What do you mean? And they were like, yeah, but like, if you want like what you say you want and more of, you know, the fashion and the red carpet and the this and that, they're like, that happens in New York, like once or twice a year. Like that happens in LA, like every day. And I mean, pre-COVID, of course. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, you know, they were like, why don't you do that? And I was like, well, I mean, I'm getting good jobs in New York and my boyfriend's in New York, and my family and everything. And she was like, well, I'm just telling you like this movie's over in a few months. If you want to come out with us, we'll set you up. You'll have to work with us for like, you know, a good amount of projects to kind of pay, you know, your dues. And then we'll kind of send you off on your way. And I was like, wow. Okay. That's like quite the opportunity to be handed. Like, hey, you want to come, you know, go out here and get a job and be able to pursue your dreams? You know, how often do you get that opportunity? So my boyfriend, who's now my husband, Justin, came to Atlanta to visit me. And I was like, hey, remember I was telling you I wanted to like maybe stay in Atlanta and do some more work? Yeah, I think I want to go to LA. (laughs) And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I got offered this opportunity. And being the good guy that he is, he was like, all right, let's do it. And he hadn't even been, Matt, like past Florida at this point. Like he hadn't even been to California And so I got my feet wet, you know, right away when I came to LA, like I got to start my position, you know, as a costume assistant to them. And they got me into the union and helped me get my hours and, you know, get through all the things I needed to do to step into the costume assistant role and to be a shopper and work with them on all those different projects. And so once I did that, um, you know, I got to really get the experience in the movie side. And then of course, (laughs) after working with them for about a year, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do costume. <laughs> and I laugh because, I, you know, I worked so hard to like get that and get that opportunity and move and get in the union and do all these things. And then I just realized like, it just wasn't fulfilling me. Like I was good at it and everybody liked me, but I just, it wasn't like doing anything for me, like passion wise. Like I just wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. And so I started kind of investigating more and asking around. And that's when styling was really kind of becoming hot. You know, Rachel Zoe had just come out with her show on Bravo. Stylists were starting to like become known. And I was like, ooh, this is an interesting world. Like this seems a bit more fast paced. This seems a bit more like my speed and like Allie. So I started asking around and they were like, well, yeah, but again, you have some experience, but you don't have styling. So you're probably gonna have to start over to be able to get into it. So I had to start over again and I started interning for, you know, like Emma Roberts stylist and Kanye West stylist, Rena Lupadora and Monica Rose when she was working with the Kardashians and all these different people just to get my feet wet and to get, you know, experience in that part of the industry. And then long story short, after assisting quite some time and doing all that, then I started getting asked to style, you know, my own people. And that's how Alivine Design was born and how I ended up starting in the styling world. So it was a long while 
wild journey to be honest. It's so cool to hear this and how sh- how quickly after you make the jump into styling does Bravo come around? What like I'm not quite sure of the timeline and it's fine with the timeline but like you started styling was it then 6 months later or 2 years later? What was it that then kind of popped you in that world because I feel like you kind of jettisoned up. So what, what was that trajectory like? And what do you think attributed to that? Yeah, well, that definitely was a lot longer than it looks. As you know, social media and online and everything always makes it look like, oh, just happened. And it definitely was a, a long journey also there too. You know, I started styling and then I, you know, started getting my name, you know, associated with all these amazing people. That was kind of what started it. It was like, I style all these people, they get best dressed, they're getting known all over the place. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, do you want to show up on like this E set or this Bravo set and like style these different people and be styling them, but like be the behind the scenes stylist, you know, the movie magic and like, you know, be there and like style them, but like be a part of the show. So it started kind of there randomly without me honestly even wanting to be that. I wanted to stay behind the scenes. I wanted to keep making people feel good and feel confident and look fabulous and wanted to just be behind the camera. But then of course, you know, life has their plans. And I kept getting asked to be on camera and they would ask me like, can you speak for the red carpet about like the trends and what your favorite looks are? And so all of a sudden it was like, oh, get comfortable in front of the camera because here you are. And I wasn't obviously at first, it was very much like, no, 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 I want to be behind the scenes. And so I kept doing, you know, the different camera work and then getting asked more and more to show up on different national and local shows, giving my fashion tips and, you know, what people should wear and how to dress like so-and-so. And, you know, after quite some time of doing it, I then started transitioning into that. And though I was still styling, I was then doing a lot of TV work monthly, you know, on different segments and coming up with different ideas to speak to fashion, all that. And so because I was already kind of like in that family of dressing different reality stars and different people, when that show on Bravo came along stripped, basically one of the people I already knew with like the Bravo family, if you will, was like, hey, we're doing this show and like, you should be a part of it. And it was funny because when they came to me, I was like, yeah, no, (laughs) it was like, why would I want to be a part of that? You know? And they were like, oh, it's a great show and it's personal discovery and your journey and this and that. And I had talked to him about fashion stuff in the past. Like I had done like random casting stuff with them for like fashion shows they were working on. I was all for that. And then it was like, Hey, no, no, no. Those shows didn't get green lit. Like that's not happening, but we're doing this show. And it was like, what? (laughs) Explain the premise of the show. So everyone can hear it. Explain. uh, So basically the document is a docu-series reality show based around the fact that everything gets taken away from you for 21 days. And what do you learn and how do you live without it? And when I say everything, I mean, everything, like they take it all. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So you can imagine why I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to sign up for that. And they were like, no, it'd be great for you because you're a celebrity stylist and you're all about fashion and clothes and accessories. So like, it would be great. They literally said to me, it would be great to take all your shit and watch you like handle that. And I was like, what? You know, <laughs> you're literally naked. Are they, are they blurring you out or are you? What? Yeah, of course they're blurring you, but like, let's be real, you know, obviously from filming, they're still in your space. So like in real life, they're not seeing you blurred. I mean, <laughs> Are you on a set or are you, are they coming to your house? What's your home to your home? So they come to your home. So they move everything out. 
You literally move out. Like they want to make your home feel like literally nothing. So they move everything out. The moving truck came, took about, I would say maybe 12, 14 hours and everything was gone. Like literally everything was gone. Our home was empty. It was the oh most my God. crazy What about, your, what about your husband? Is your husband there with you? Are you guys yes, he, was, he was a part of it. So they actually asked him if he would do it too, because he was the one when we were like doing the Skype interviews and whatever and meeting with them. And he was the one that was like, you know, it might not be bad for Allie to do because she is so like head in the clouds, all about fashion, all about her designer, la la la. And I was like, oh, thanks, babe. And he's like, well, you are. So it was like, you know, he, he, he ended up in it kind of by accident. Um, and so, you know, he ends up jumping on with me and doing it. And thank God he did, Matt, because he was the one who was like, so chill during it. He was the one who was like, calm down. It's okay. It's only 21 days. Like you can handle it. I was freaking out on day one. Like, I'm like, I need this. I need that. He's like, you're fine. Like, it's fine. Like relax. Take this as like, you don't have your cell phone. Like take this as a break. And I was in like spin out mode. Whereas he was like more calm and cool and collective. He's like, I'm not like that. So of course they liked that because he wasn't like that. So they wanted him to be a part of it with me. So that's how he ended up doing it with me. And, and did that really kind of blow you up in terms of exposure? Did that show, was there a noticeable acceleration in everything and your visibility and everything? If I said, um, I mean, I'd be lying if I said it didn't make a difference, you know, like, because Bravo's a huge, um, you know, it's, it's a very well-known network, obviously. So to say it didn't make a difference, you know, wouldn't be truthful. Do I think it was like the be all end all? No. But do I think it was a huge stepping stone for me going from, especially I think because I was behind the scenes as a celebrity stylist that I definitely had notoriety in that field because of who I was and what I was achieving. But then I stepped into like this limelight personality of me. And it was like, Allie is Allie, not just a celebrity stylist. And I think that was the difference. And then people starting to know me, you know, and then we got pregnant, you know, right after filming and, you know, Bravo wanted to show that. And so like at the end of the show, you see we're pregnant. And so then everyone was following my pregnancy journey. And that's kind of where social media took off because it was like, everyone was following to see like, Oh, what happened? You know, they got pregnant on the show and now, Oh, she's really, really, pregnant it's true and then they wanted to see you know the baby and the family and so it just kind of transitioned you know without it being planned to be um and I didn't expect people to honestly be so like into my journey and wanting to like know about my pregnancy and having my baby but they did and so I think that's what really further exploded it you know what what about your own journey with in this case literally exposing yourself but like taking your uh, the, the journey from not wanting to be in front of the camera to all of a sudden you're completely, literally wide open with, you know, exposed. And now people are following your journey. How did you wrap your head around that? And did you come around or did it take a lot of work for you to, to do that? Because I see you even present day. I think you are extremely courageous in terms of really what I love and why you're here is your, your heart is in the right place. Uh, You know, I did your podcast. You asked such great questions. You, to me, it seems like you have such a deep relationship with your listeners and with your viewers on social media, and you really care about them seeing the real story 
Did that come naturally or was that a lot of work to get to that point? Because you make it seem like I look at you and I get nervous for myself, for you doing all this stuff. Cause I'm not as easily, I've gotten a lot more out there than I was. I'm just curious how you handled that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, it definitely wasn't easy for me. Um, I think stripped, you know, like you said, stripped down literally to nothing. I think that really like started me into that vulnerability of like, you know, I know makeup, I'm not glam. I'm normally super glam when I'm on camera and on the red carpet. And it was like, no, you're going to be like super raw and be yourself and be on this show. And I think that was like the beginning of it. And then, you know, after going through that, you know, even though it was a show, it was still 30 days of our life. It was 21 days, of course, for the show, but it was a month of filming. And like, you know, they say in 21 days, you can change a habit if you really want to. And I really felt like for me, it was really like life shifting. Like I went from like, like being constantly on my phone 24 seven to like actually leaving my phone in the other room and not remembering it, which was like unheard of for me before that, you know? And like, I was present with my husband again and I was then able to get pregnant and like be in a space to like, you know, be paying attention to the fact that I was pregnant and not constantly on the go and, you know, shuffling. And so it was really hard for me to like come around to that rawness because I mean, and you understand this because you're, you know, in Hollywood, like I would be with all my celebrities and all these clients and like, I would be expected to like, look, you know, a certain part and like, look a certain way. And of course I kind of put myself in that position too, but it was hard for me to like pull back from that and be so raw. And so I think going through stripped, like stripped me like down vulnerably to really understand, like, you're going to be vulnerable. You're going to be raw. You're going to be yourself. Even if like you don't want to be, it's going to force you to show up. And I think it just continued to really force me once I got pregnant, you know, I wasn't able to constantly get myself glam because I wasn't always feeling well. And just kind of like, continued, you know, and it was like, okay, I'm going to be really present. I'm going to be really like show up as Allie and not necessarily as this like facade of who I had to be and show up to be and play this kind of role and part, even though I didn't realize I was doing that, I kind of really was. Um, and it took me to then like really get to motherhood to really understand that. And then like, to really answer your question, to be honest, I didn't really fully get it. And then my postpartum depression hit with my first daughter and that's what really did it for me. Like the universe, I think, to be honest, I always believe like the universe hands you things, you know, no matter what for a reason and a lesson or, you know, a blessing, whatever it may be. And I felt like the stripped opportunity, even though it was an opportunity for my career, I felt like it was really for me to grow and to like change and essentially kind of morph into more of who I am now, which I believe is really who I am at the core. But of course, Hollywood and everything else, you can get sucked up very easily. And I definitely did. Um, and I realized that now. And so I think that, you know, when the postpartum depression hit, it was kind of like the universe being like, you didn't learn your lesson doing that show. So now you're going to be back doing this and like, you're going to do the work. And I really had to do the work to like find myself again. And I kind of felt like, you know, part of me had died when I had my postpartum depression because I was so, you know, dark and so vulnerable. And I just felt like I couldn't show up even for myself. Like it wasn't just for my family, but it was like, for me, I couldn't like look at myself the same. I couldn't, you know, be who I was because I would judge myself constantly and say like, well, you're not glam and put together. You're not this, you're not that. And it was horrible how I was to myself. And so when I had to do the work and, you know, go through therapy and cognitive, you know, thinking and do all these different exercises and all these things, 
I found again, like we were just saying that like rawness and that vulnerability. And I found like peace in it. And at first it was really earth shattering for me. It was not peaceful. It was very uncomfortable. And I was like really upset. I wanted to just kind of dig in a hole and say, no, 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 no. I'll come back out when I'm glam again. You know, it was like, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't even want to show up. Like my publicist, but you have to go to the red carpet. And I'd be like, no, my body's not where I want it to be. I can't get myself together. And she's like, you're beautiful. And they want you to be there. And so, you know, unless you're like sick, you need to go, you know, I was like, oh, okay. You know, and it like, forced me to show up in a way that like, I really honestly at first wasn't prepared to. And so when I went through the postpartum depression, I got to, of course, the light in the tunnel and, you know, felt like myself again, or a new version of me is kind of how I feel. That was when I started to tap into that vulnerability more. That was when I started to realize like, I can't go backwards. I can't pretend to be this like fluff anymore. It's not in me anymore. It's gone. I can't even turn it on if I want to. Um, And I started really sharing myself more real and raw. And it was hard, you know, like my first post about my postpartum depression and my, you know, my body and all the things, like I lost a lot of followers at first. Like I remember telling my husband, like, oh my gosh, what did I do? I signed off social, you know, for a minute to like give myself a breather and everything I was going through. And then I came back and I post this like not glam image and a super raw photo of myself and people's and people's comments were not the nicest and there were a lot of people that unfollowed and I was like oh my gosh what did I do what about my career and I was scared at first it was very vulnerable and it was very hard and thank God. And I think like you said, when you're in purpose, you know, things align. And so all of a sudden, all these moms started rallying around me and my following changed. All of a sudden my following blew up more. And it went from like, you know, like bleeding to like all of a sudden blowing up. And it was so wild to watch the transformation and see who decided to stay and those decided to go and all these new people came around me, but the community came around me and they're still there now. And it's been like the most magical journey in that sense. Cause they're, we're all there for each other. We're all in it together. And I feel I can, can continue to share my real and raw self. And it actually is like so peaceful for me. And that's kind of how my podcast was born was like sharing my truths and it feeling like cathartic to be able to do so. And then all of a sudden I'm helping others. And like, so how amazing is that, that I'm now helping heal myself, but now I'm helping other people. So it was not easy at all, but now like I actually really enjoy it. And I can't, I can't do anything else. Like if I try to write like a fluff post, I'm like, Oh no. And I erase it. Like I can't, I can't do it. It's just not who I am. Well, that is, first of all, kudos to you for having the guts to do that. And I had a guest, this guy, Charlie Rocket Jabalay, and he was, he's fascinating. He's, he's got a big following on social media as well. And he's really outside the box. I really love him. But he talked about, and you're reminding me of this, he talked about, he calls it fringe marketing. And he talks about, you need to attract and repel. If you trying to be everything to everybody, you're not going to be anything. And so it sounds like you repelled a certain part of your former following, but in repelling them, you attracted your real core audience in a major way. And now they rallied behind you and grew. And because it's aligned with you, you don't feel dirty about it. You feel like, oh, I'm actually just being me and they're loving it and I'm helping them and I'm free. And I feel like that's the goal that. for all of us, right? Like to, to, yeah. to be free, not to be a slave to getting more followers, but to actually feel that hopefully you're helping people. Right. Not that your worth is, is tied up with how many people are following you, especially if it's for the wrong reasons. 
Oh, completely. And, you know, I mean, to be like transparent about that, you know, when I was styling and I was posting, like every image was like me and a celebrity or me at a, you know, amazing mansion or on a, you know, flight or on a boat or whatever it was, you know, with this person and that person, you know, I remember I was totally operating out of ego. It was like, look at me, I look fabulous. And here I am. And I'm with so-and-so, you know, and all these things. And, you know, of course I didn't realize it then. Cause then it was just like, Oh, look at me, look at me, look at me. But now, like you were saying, like now when I share, like, you know, my raw self or something I'm going through, whatever it might be, it's really not like a look at me moment. It's more like, oh, I'm really going through it. But it's like, it relates so much more and it resonates so much more. And it's it's so funny because when we're talking about this, I'm laughing to myself because I'm thinking back to even like when, you know, I was, you know, first styling and I was like, I want to be this famous stylist and I want to do this and I want to do that. And, you know, I did hit certain marks, you know, of that in my career, but I didn't feel fulfilled. I always felt like I had to keep going and going and going and going. And there was never like a moment where it was like, oh my gosh, I made it. I did it. Even though I know there were so many of those moments, I just never had that. And then it's just so funny. Like when motherhood came along and I didn't expect to like feel that way at all. Cause I expected to go right back into my career and just kind of like, you know, have my daughter be like my daughters be a part of my life, but not, not to what I thought this was. Like I had no intention to being like this mommy influencer and all these things that I'm doing. And I'm so grateful for it. But again, like you said, when you align and you're in purpose, like all of a sudden things shift. And so when people are like, Oh my gosh, you're following. And I'm like, but I never like, I had the intention back when I was doing the celebrity styling back when I was on Bravo. Like I remember getting on Bravo and being like, Oh, my following's going to go triple and you know, and it, it grew, but it nowhere near when I became a mom and I shared all my real raw truths. It's just, so it's just so funny. It's almost as though the postpartum came from the mother in you saying mm-hmm. to you, Hey, you can't do this anymore. You can't lead with your ego anymore. That's not cool you're a mom. It's kind of sounds like that. Like, like the mother and you whipped the rest of you into shape and said, this is how we're going to be from now on. I, I love that you, that you said that and you see it that way. I mean, it, it's funny, right? Like with the ego, it's like, we all don't realize what we do operate out of ego a lot. And it's like, I've been doing, especially during the pandemic, like so much inner work on myself and doing a lot of like, you know, prayer and meditation and journaling and a lot of studying about the ego and been working on that for myself. And I've been realizing that like, you know, the ego really is there to kind of trap you. It's there to kind of really like make you be in fight or flight constantly. And when you actually connect, like you're saying with like your soul and your purpose, and like what you're in service of and what you align with, like that's when it really flows, whatever you're doing. And it, you know, you can still be successful in your job and all those things, but it's like, it has to align. It has to actually be a purpose versus literally just, this is for me and I'm selfish and this is about me. It's like, it doesn't work. And now I understand like, oh, this makes sense why now things are flowing and why I fought so hard, even though I was so successful in my career, why I was constantly fighting with myself. It like, it just makes so much sense. So you saying that like really resonates. No, that's exactly what I was looking for. And it's actually the perfect segue into these questions. The first of which is the word no means what to you? And I originally, I used to ask it like, you know, no's coming to you, but What I love is what you just described there, and a lot of past guests have have put out there, is the no's that you give out really help define you. But I want to hear what what is the word no? It means what to you? 
So, okay. So that's why I honestly, I was so enthralled with your show. And I first reached out to you and wanted you to come on my show because I love that you're so vulnerable about that. Because I think a lot of times, again, people are afraid to share their failures and the fact that they've been said no to, and that this hasn't happened for them. But I feel like to me, all the no's for me in my life have actually brought me to much greater opportunities and much better circumstances than I would have actually allowed for myself had those become yeses and turned into something. And then another opportunity wouldn't have presented itself. And so to me, no is, you know, whatever, of course, everyone has different, you know, feelings of faith. But for me, it's like God's way of saying like, nope, that doesn't work for you. It doesn't align with you. This is better. I'm going to put this in front of you. If you can just trust that this is what's in front of you and not that. And like I, you know, and now I look at things that way, but I remember back when I was very, you know, hustling and, you know, a little bit thirsty and really just wanted to climb the ladder. When I would hear no, it was detrimental to me at a young age. It was like, what's wrong with me? And I took it so personal. And it was like, why, why would they say no to me? But now like how you were saying with you, like I take it as like either I persevere and I, you know, and I try again and I see if I can, you know, make something happen because I really align with it and I want it to happen. Or I take it as a sign that like something better is going to happen and something better is going to come. So I think there's a lot of power in no. And then when you reverse the fear of no and change it to like an actual empowerment, that's when the shift happens. And then you're like, oh, this is actually a good thing. If you could give advice to your younger self, what age would you intervene? And what would the advice be? Oh, that's, that's a heavy one. Um, I mean, I feel like a few times in my life, but I would say probably in high school when I really started to follow the crowd more than I should have and didn't want to stand. I was always kind of like out there and like kept outside of the box and wanted to be outside the box. And I like enjoyed it until I got to high school. And then I felt like, oh, why am I so out there? And like, these people don't want to hang out with me. And the quote unquote popular crowd doesn't want to be around me unless I like am more like them. And I would turn to that young self and say like, F all that. And like those popular people were just following what everyone else was doing no creativity, you know, no excitement, no anything still to their lives, like no shade, but like, they're not doing anything. You know, it's like when you take a chance on yourself, when you like truly believe in yourself and who you are authentically, you don't need to look outside. You need to look inward. And the more you look inward, the more you excel and the more you step into who you are. And like, I feel like, again, motherhood has massively done that for me. And I've been able to come into who I am, but like that young Allie had no clue. And I just remember, like, I remember going in like the stalls at lunch and eating lunch by myself. Cause I didn't want to sit with the popular girls because they made me feel uncomfortable and insecure. And I didn't want to sit with my old friends because they made me feel uncomfortable. And so it was like, I was just constantly torn in high school. Like I just felt like I was always doing the wrong thing. I was doing everything to please everyone else. I was never pleasing myself. I was never making myself happy. And it's funny now that we're talking about this, I'm realizing too, that kind of when I first started in Hollywood, I was doing the same thing all over again. I was pleasing everybody and doing everything for them. And, you know, I had to make sure they were happy and it didn't matter if I was happy as long as they were happy. And so again, you know, I think that maybe at that point in my life, as well as, you know, my younger self is like, you know, look inward. Allie Levine, thank you so much. You, you know, you really endeared yourself to me with the, when you had me on your show, you were so generous and so heartfelt and warm and uh, encouraging, complimentary. And I'm, I'm so glad to have you on 10,000 No's. I feel like there's someone out there, uh, probably a young woman who's 
in that phase that you described in high school or post-college and they're out in the world and they're trying to fit in and they're going to hear this and it's going to help them and it's going to save them from wasting years of their life trying to fit in. So I, I really can't thank you enough. You're awesome. Really. Oh, I'm so happy you. for you. And well, thank you for having me. I honestly, I'm so inspired by your show. I truly like, I've been subscribed to it for so long now. And like, I love the episodes. I love everything you ask. I, I truly like this. It's funny. Like I can check this off my list. Like this literally was on my list of like opportunities. I really wanted to align with. I really wanted to like be on your show. I was so thrilled when you were on mine. Like, so it, it's, it's really, it's, it's a mutual feeling. I'm, I'm very excited. We got to connect. What we do here is go back, 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 back. Okay, top three takeaways. Here we go. Number one, if you're stuck and you feel like you can't find your life's purpose or you're somehow feeling unfulfilled, go back to what you loved as a kid. I'm talking as a young kid. So many of my guests who now have these lives that have successfully melded their passions with their career are just doing some more sophisticated version of what they loved as a kid. How early did your fascination with fashion begin? And what was, where do you think? Oh my gosh, so early, like probably three, four years old. Like my grandmother was probably my inspiration. That's who my first daughter um, is named after, Amelia. And she was like my very best friend. She's now on the other side. But um, she and I like would just always like look at magazines together and we would, you know, curate trends and she would help me learn how to sew and shay and like do all these different amazing skills. She got me into painting and, you know, I would do oil canvases with her. We would take art classes together and pottery and just all kinds of stuff. So she fueled my creativity. And then my mom even would say like, I would go in my closet at three, four years old and she would like give me something to wear. And I would say, no, I go in my closet and get something else and like essentially style myself. So I just feel like it was like always in me. Number two, this one's actually for the parents out there, or really for any of you who are looked up to in some way, which is all of you. Remember, your kids, your younger siblings, nieces and nephews, kids in the neighborhood, whatever. They're not just going to be influenced by what you say, but more so by what you do, how you model for them by the way you live your own life. Yeah. My dad always taught me that, you know, he always told me like, you know, you, you know, you start from the bottom, you know, his songs are from the bottom. Now I'm here. It's like, he really instilled that in me. He was like, you know, he always told me even when we had really great things, you know, we're fortunate, you know, we're not rich. We're not this, we're not that we're fortunate as he always told us as kids. And so I always kept that in mind and he always worked so hard still does. And, you know, I always watched him reinvent himself and reinvent his businesses and, you know, do everything from the ground up. So I think seeing that, you know, in your father and someone who you admired and followed around and did everything, it was like, okay, that was instilled in me. And then, you know, same with my grandmother, then giving me the creativity side and putting a real boost in me with that, you know, all of it combined was like, I, I always worked really hard. I always wanted to work really hard. And number three, yes, hard work is necessary, but you also have to be smart and willing. And part of that means fishing where the fish actually swim. If you have big dreams, you may have to sacrifice some comfort in order to put yourself in a position to attain them, including being willing to leave familiar surroundings. I told them what I was doing and what I wanted to do. And they were like, what are you doing in New York? And I was like, well, I'm from there. What do you mean? And they were like, yeah, but like, if you want, like what you say you want and more of, you know, the fashion and the red carpet and the this and that, they're like, that happens in New York, like once or twice a year. Like that happens in LA, like every day. 
All right, folks, that is it. Ali Levine, thank you. Listeners, thank you for being here. We know there are tons of choices out there. We appreciate you coming to 10,000 Knows. If you dig this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Share it with your friends. Put it on social media. Just help us get the visibility of the show out there so more people can benefit from these conversations. Again, if you want to check out the 10,000 Knows Insiders community, there's a link to it in the show notes. You can also go to 10,000knows.com. There are also a bunch of links for Allie in the show notes. So check them out if you liked what she had to say and you want to go check out her blog or her podcast or her Instagram account. Um, As you can see, she's really passionate and she is really there to um, help the people that are following her. That's it. We are always here on Monday Morsels uh, every Monday and we're back here again next week as well. Have a great week. 